Hi, Glenn. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Adam? Oh, perfect. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of Java, so I'm doing good. And you? Still Java? Uh, I've been retired for eight years now, <laughs> so I'm not doing a lot of Java except for personal projects. Yeah, exactly. This is my this is my secret plan. If I'm retired, I will do more Java. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. Uh, a lot of it has to do with my my other hobbies in uh, retro computing. So, for example, I'll I'll, uh, I'll write things that that uh, allow me to connect to a Commodore sixty four, and Java is the right tool for the job, of course. Hey, right, cool. So now uh, back to retro. Um, now back to the serials uh, side of life. What was your first computer? <laughs> the first computer I owned was a Commodore 64. Okay. And what was your first contact with a computer? Actually, I think it was back in the late 70s when there hardly were computers. And I went to a Radio Shack store and, they saw, and saw a computer there that was running an astrology program. And... I was astrology, very, you say astrology. Yes, and I had studied astrology for years, and I knew everything really well, and I knew my chart like the back of my hand. So I had them. So I, I keyed in my information: nine twenty-three p.m. Central Standard Time, and so on and so forth. And uh, the, it came up on the screen, and I looked at it, and I double-checked it with what I knew in my head, <laughs> and sure enough, the numbers were right. <laughs> what is like astrology or astronomy? Because astrology, astrology, yeah, yeah. But but astrology is not a science, right? This is more like you can argue about that all day long, Adam. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just you know uh, because um, I'm just thinking. So astronomy is the science about planets, and astrology is like the science of mapping human beings to planets, right? So am I right? Yeah, yeah. The difference with astrology okay. is that you do all the calculations as though Earth were the center of the universe and you're measuring the angles between the planets with Earth as a vertex. Okay, so this is something different what um, what, what I thought it is. You make the first contact with uh, something in Radio Shack. What was it? Oh, they had their own kind of computers here in America uh, called uh, Tandy. And they were not very good, quite frankly. Okay. <laughs> so I never owned one myself, but just walking in that store and, oh, look, a personal computer. I've heard of these, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. But was it uh, uh, Z80 or was it, what, what CPU was it? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. I really. But you don't. are a retro computer specialist, so what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with me is that I like good retro computers. Not ah, okay. But but this computer came up uh, a couple of times. So it seems like it was a very popular computer back then. And uh, I have a question about Radio Shack. Was it Radio Shack more like a specialist store? Uh, you like Radio Shack, or was it more like you know store which was not that good? So was it like you know boutique shop or more like mainstream shop with lots of stuff in it? Well, in in those days, it was it was mainly for finding parts, and you would go there, oh. and if you needed resistors or whatever, or if you needed vacuum tubes, <laughs> that's where you would go. <clears throat> and it was mostly parts, and you you wouldn't buy whole whole finished okay. electronic products there. But that changed after a while, and they started selling stereos and computers. And oh, more. okay. So I I think back then was more like a club where you can meet, you know. Uh like-minded people right well you would see interesting people in there that's for sure yeah you would okay, see cool. enthusiasts you know yeah okay uh, and and one question bef be, um, 
I remember you at Java One, and you were always a, a leather jacket with Duke on it. You're the right person, right? I had, yes. Uh, you know, back in the day, Sun Microsystems, of course, had an online store, and you could buy all the, the Java yeah, yeah. swag, and that, that's where I got that, that jacket. So, yeah, I always wore that to the shows. I had the, the black leather jacket with the gigantic Java logo on the back. Yeah, it's, Java, it's, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you are the right person I invited. I was a little bit afraid, you know, you're, you're not the person with a leather jacket, but now, <laughs> you know, we can keep talking. Otherwise, I will you know, cancel the show. <laughs> yeah, it was me, all right. Perfect. So, um, what happened after the astrology experience with uh, the the uh, Radio Shack? Well, I, uh, I, I was originally trained as a musician, and that didn't really work out for me, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and I was always fascinated by technology, and I thought, well... I'll go to school and learn computers. Which instruments can, can you play, actually? Uh, I studied the piano. Okay. Yeah, and my, my expertise was early 20th century music, Scriabin and Schoenberg and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. What is it? Is this more like, uh, is it like classic or what, more like classic, or more like rock or more like, how can I, you imagine? I was more interested in, the, in, the mod, in, in classical music, but the modern classical music, 20th century music and so forth. And so I was always a little bit uh, kind of on the edge. And I eventually. Um, maybe. Um, is it similar to like Ludovico and Audi? You, you know the guy? Is this a Ludovico? Ludovico and Audi. It's, it's like, I think, Italian who plays almost like classic but modern one right now. I don't think I know who that is. E I N Audi. So it's like, uh, I just. I'll look it up and see. Okay, so we put it in the show notes, whether it's similar or not, so I can imagine what you actually liked. Yeah. Okay, so and you, you tried, Okay, you studied music, and you say you were not successful. What does it mean? You couldn't play piano, or you couldn't find a job? Well, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to find a job, because uh, I wanted to play all the modern music, and in music school, at least at that time, the thought was that if you're going to study classical music, that means that you have to have, you have to study Bach and Beethoven and Mozart. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, why, why do I want to hear the same Beethoven sonata for the three hundredth time? I mean, it, mm-hmm. not not to say I don't like Beethoven. He was a great uh, innovator yeah. and everything. But I wanted to play the more modern music. And and at that time in music school, it was like, no, no, no. Well, you maybe you can play that afterward. You know, you, but you have to you have to do all the modern. You have to do all the traditional music, and you have to play Mozart sonatas and. As I always say, they tortured me until I played a Mozart sonata, and I escaped soon afterward. <laughs> Could you play Mozart and all this stuff? Yeah, sure, sure. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. my, my specialty was Scriabin. I played the late Scriabin sonatas. I played the White Mass and the Black Mass. <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. Can you still play it? I haven't played in years, and I was recent. I've recently been diagnosed with serious arthritis, <laughs> okay. so I'm afraid that ship has sailed. In any case, <laughs> okay. But you could play something on piano right now, right? Still, so it's sure. some, yeah, cool. Okay. Sure. So th- then you were okay. So um, then you said, okay, music is nothing for me, and you are interested in technology. What happened then? Well, there was a, a small school in Milwaukee. Uh, that it was one of these schools where they'll, they'll give you an abbreviated uh, course. In this case, it was eight eight month course. And then at the end, they'll they'll try and find you a job. It was one of those kind of places. And we had a very, very intense uh, period of instruction. I think uh, 
only about a third of the people that started the class were able to finish it because it was just, I mean, it was, it was really, really intense. And we learned, we were taught basic and COBOL <laughs> and RPG, but we also had classes in accounting and uh, systems analysis and all the things that go with it. And they tried to squish all of that into eight months and, uh, Not bad. Yeah, well, it, it, like I say, it was very stressful, but those of us who came out of it came out of it with jobs. Okay. When was it, roughly? Oh, uh, I went to school there in 1986. That was when I moved to Milwaukee to go to school there, and that's where I got my first job, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> in, 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 in which year was it, roughly? Uh, when I started working in, in IT, you mean? Yeah. I went to school in 86. I got my first job in January of 87. Okay. And back then, how was it no, no, the climate? So you could just get a job in IT or was it really tough to get a job? So was it like right now or, or different or, in there, like, you know? The, these things go in waves, you know how it is. And at the time, there had been a period where uh, if you knew anything about programming, you could get a job instantly. But then that wave started going down again, and around the time I started, it, it was not particularly easy to find a job as, as a programmer. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking a job as an operator on a okay. very, very backward system. <clears throat> it was uh, the company that I went to work for, this was in 1987, they were mm -hmm. still using punch cards. <laughs> okay. They didn't yet have any PCs. I think one of the accountants had a PC, and they didn't even have terminals on the desk. Everything was done with batch processing. Okay. So it was it was quite it was quite an old-fashioned environment to walk into. Thinking that I was going to be in the you know the the the, the greatest technology experience and adventure of my life, and then I set foot in this place and it's all punch cards and so forth. Yeah, but punch cards. What, what you did as as an operator? So how can I imagine? So what, what was it to do? It's like you know uh, restarting the computer or what you could do back then. I have a link that I can probably share with you. I have a picture of the the card decks sitting in a drawer that we would use okay. for all the jobs, and they would all be the punch cards mm -hmm. held together with rubber bands, and there would be these drawers full of decks of cards, and one would be for billing one would be for order entry and one would be for receivables and so forth and okay. then for example if i ran the billing job stream there were there were the room next to the computer room was data entry and these gals were working on key punch machines <laughs> with punch cards and so forth and they would hand through the window they would hand me this big stack of usually about 14 1500 cards that were the input for the billing jobs. They had been okay. putting this stuff all day long, and they'd hand it to me, and I'd put the first part of the deck in up to where it said, execute program name, and right after that, all the cards would be loaded in, and then the rest of the job deck. So it, when it got to that point in the job deck, it would go, and all the cards would be right in. <laughs> how, how long you spend, you know, with the, with the punch cards? Oh, it was awful, because uh, they'd come in unsorted. And they'd have to go on a sorting machine. And you, you can imagine a, a machine with, with 10 little hoppers, one for each digit, right? And you're sorting across several different uh, columns. And then you have to sort within this column, within another column. So you have to make all these passes where these 1,500 cards would have to go through the machine. 
it was really, it, it was unlike anything we experience nowadays. I mean, to, to think that you're actually <laughs> handling the data in your hands, right? We don't do that anymore. <laughs> Maybe handling merge conflicts, right? Something like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if, if you made a mistake on the sorter, there, there was nothing you could do to recover. You'd have to just put stack all the cards up and start over. <laughs> okay. Got it. What was the company about? Was it like insurance? Uh, no, I worked for Wyco Group Incorporated, which was uh, men's footwear. And I think part of the reason I got the job is I had worked in a shoe factory before that. So I okay. knew the business. And uh, since I already knew the business, all I had to do was learn the computers. <laughs> yeah, you had at least, you know, eight months of uh, intense, you know, uh, <laughs> training. So it worked yeah. well. So what happens after the uh, shoe experience? That got me into programming because in those days, when when an operator had a problem, you'd have to call the programmer, and he'd come in, diagnose it, you know, make a fix, rerun the programmer, rerun the program, whatever had to be done. Mm -hmm. And I just hated that because I'd have to call the guy, and then you know he'd come in an hour later wearing his shorts or whatever, <laughs> and go, oh, let me fix this, and I'd be, I'd, I'd just want to finish my job and go home, right? I just want yeah. to finish my shift. <laughs> And uh, so I started watching what the guys were doing, and everything was written in assembly language. All okay. of our stuff was written in-house in assembly language at the time. So I and I, I would say to the programmers, you know, I'd come in in the afternoon when they were finishing their shift, and I'd have a little while to talk to the guys, and I'd say, "Well, how did how did you find out what the?" Oh, and then they'd say, "Look, here's the core dump." If you take the core dump, this is where the ad, this is the load address of the program, and then you go to the listing and you say, okay, here's the here's the instruction that failed. Subtract that from the address, and then you can look up in the core dump and see where the data that was being accessed was. And 99 times out of 100, it was just a, an error in data entry where there was a blank that should have been a zero. 99 mm -hmm. times out of 100 was a blank instead of a zero. Mm -hmm. And so I'd look at the code. <laughs> And I'd get a listening, and I'd like, I'm not going to call the programmer and wait an hour for him to come. And so I'd go in and patch the program myself, that if it got a blank instead of a zero, it would just reject that card with, with a note or whatever, you know. Then I would take the listing, circle the problem in red, put it on the programmer's desk for the next morning, and then, and then they'd figure it out. And then the next morning, I'd come to work, and the guys would go, you fix that yourself? And I'm like, well, it was nothing. It was just this, you know. And so soon afterward, <laughs> I was invited to become a programmer on the day shift. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I mean, you had no idea about uh, assembly, right? Well, I, I was trying to learn it on my own. Okay. Right? And, and if you've never learned assembly language before, it's a daunting task. I mean, yeah, of course. That's what I meant. I mean, it's really hard to, to learn it, actually. Yeah, and this wasn't like any simple assembly like Intel or even 6502 or something like that. We're talking about IBM 370 assembler, essentially mainframe assembler language. And it was really hard. Um, but the guys helped me, and I learned little by little, and eventually I was coding, and then then we uh, we eventually got a COBOL compiler. Oh, wow, modern language, COBOL. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then it went on from there. And by the late 90s, we had enough different machines. We had the IBM machines. We were first running a 4331, and then later on we got an AS400. And that was what the company's main business ran on. Uh -huh. 
But here, in the meantime, we had the warehouse software, which had been upgraded to run on a Novell server. So here we have warehouse software running on a Novell server. The rest of the was Netware, I guess, right? Novell, Netware, yeah, Novell Netware, right? And 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 it was written in Basic, running on PCs. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the company's business is running on these IBM AS400s. So how do we get the two to talk to each other? Oh Lord! And we had all these terrible little things we came up with, like you know, flag files and stuff like that. And, Finally, I was reading an article about this promising new programming language called Java <laughs> that can talk to any machine, write once, run everywhere. And I thought, well, gee, we should we should mm-hmm. try that. And I brought Java into the company probably around '97, I think, very oh. early. On. Yeah, very so early. '97 pr- was actually Java was JIT. So um, I really this was Java one one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I don't know, I ne- ne- will never forget because I started prior to this with JDK 1.0 and with Java 1.1 came out. So I think with Java 1.1 we got interfaces, JDBC and the JIT compiler. Mm-hmm. And, and I really enjoy that because we had, uh, yeah, because it ran a, a much faster on yeah. my machine than the 1.0. So I really enjoy that. And um, Interesting. So, um, and also interesting is that I also started back then, or started one of my projects. I had to use uh, Novell on Netware, and my clients wanted to run Java on Novell. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I still remember this NDS Novell Directory Services. And I had to write a Java program which accessed the NDS. And I thought, sure, we can do this. But what I completely underestimated is how uh, the the data structures inside uh, Novell, because there was no string. They had a specific Novell strings, you know, even to access a simplistic, you know, LDAP structure was really painful. But I managed to do this. So um, and um, and Novell was big on Java back then. So I attended Novell conferences. I still have, you know, the CDs from Novell, the red ones with NDS, and uh, I remember even. Uh, you you remember BA WebLogic, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a Project Tenga. Project Tenga was prior to WebLogic, and I think it ran on Novell. Because at the Novell conference, the BA guys were there and tried to sell it. So um, this was uh, my my short Novell story from back then. And NDS, I still remember Novell Directory Services, NDS, SDK for Java, which I used a lot. And uh, yeah, and Novell was big because of printing back then. This was the main reason. They were really good at managing printers. And this is how we had to use Novell because all companies and, of course, TCP IP stack. So I was remember back then, Novell could do TCP IP, but Windows couldn't. And um, and this was one of the reasons why we had to use Novell. So this was my short excursion to Novell. Well, that's really interesting because I didn't know. I never knew that Novell supported Java. Oh. And, yeah. On, on the other hand... Like I say, our, our business was basically had two two sides, and the warehouse side was running on Novell, and the, the main business side was running on AS400. And IBM's support for Java on the AS400 was absolutely superb. It always has been. They were, as, as we all know, very early adapters, in Java, yeah, adapters for Java. But we were able to connect to the AS400 from, from uh, PC servers running Linux, and we were able to do all of the native stuff on the AS400, multi-member files, data queues, all the stuff that's unique to that machine 
we were able to do from PC using Java <clears throat> because of IBM support. Because IBM support for Java on the 400 was so great. I mean, it was it's absolutely unbelievable. It's just like being right on the machine. You can do anything you want. Fantastic stuff. I put in the chat, and I will put it in the show notes. I found an article about that, and uh, it is from 1997. Java and NDS integration. This was, and oh. the cool story is, I had two ta two days to implement this because there was a huge conference in Germany, or um, it was called Systems. It was huge, and it was so huge that there was, uh, you know, um, uh, problems on the highway to reach the conference. And um, so this is what I really remember this, and I give you the uh, the um, and the day or no advertising here, the 100% uh, pure Java API, and uh, it's interesting, a piece of history. So um, yeah, and, and this is what I used on, on Novell, but I didn't enjoy that because it was kind of Java, but it was really low level. I, I look forward to reading that. Yeah. You brought Java into the company. So what's your opinion about Java? I mean, from assembly to Java is a, a huge step, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know in which direction, but <laughs> it is, uh, it's crazy. Well, the whole thing with Java, it just made, it, it seemed to make the individual machines go away. When you're, when you're writing the old style, whether it's assembly language or, or, or any other sort of high-level languages, you're always thinking about the machine. And when you're, th when you're writing Java, you don't, you're not thinking about the machine. You're thinking about the data. You're thinking about how it's going to get to the other machines and so forth. You're not thinking about the machine itself. That, that just changed everything. Did it change? Because for me, it was like, you know, a fake statement. Because, okay, okay, the Java virtual machine is a virtual machine. But we have to install the machine first, and then we are portable. So uh, for me, it was like, I didn't like the idea. So, okay, why? I mean, I have to install, you know, a software first. And of course, if something runs on the software, then it's portable. So uh, this is what I didn't like. Because prior to Java, I did C++. So I couldn't get, you know, the difference because C++ was everywhere. So I could compile with C++, and I could compile with Java. I had to know to install the C++ compiler and I had to install Java. So for me, it was not a lot of difference between both. But uh, I got the idea of what JVM actually is a lot, I would say, maybe with JDK 1.2, a little bit later. Um, I got uh, really um, understood why it is important. But at the beginning, I didn't like the idea at all. What I also didn't like about Java was where the you know, interfaces and the there was no uh, header files, there was no operator overloading, so it was for me somehow limited. And, uh, and you know, the Duke and the applets, I said, okay, what the hell is going on with the old applets? So at the beginning, I was really curious, you know, what, what's about Java, but I couldn't get the hype back then. Yeah, somehow I, 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 I felt that this is important, but I didn't understand why, right? So this was my... And, and, and what I really like about Java was the... You know the Java coffee logo because I really like coffee. So for me, I was so this was uh, the most appealing stuff about Java was you know the coffee relation. Yeah, I, I kind of I thought it was kind of gimmicky at first too. I mean, I I saw the possibilities of it. Yeah. Even though even though we weren't actually seeing them concretely because some of that stuff had to wait for the better compilers and stuff like that. Uh, but the, the whole business with the the uh, applets and and the little applets in a, in a browser and everything that just seems so silly to me. I mean, it's yeah. like this is what we're going to use this powerful language for. Yeah. <laughs> and and the business with the the applets running in a browser, I think that could have been something. But you know what it would have required? 
it would re have required hot Java to be successful, which was yep. the, the browser written in Java. And mm -hmm. there is no way that that could have happened because at the time Java was not sophisticated enough, it wasn't fast enough, it couldn't have happened. So that meant then now, just like you said before, we had to have a JVM for every machine, we, every operating system we wanted to run it on. Now you needed essentially a JRE for every browser you're going to run it in as well. And then that just starts getting ridiculous. I liked actually how Java, I experimented with it, but um, interesting, uh, you know, ice faces. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we used ice faces at work. Yeah. And the ice faces people had a, a Java browser. This is how they started. Oh, is that so, right? Yeah, it was the ICE browser. So you could use the ICE browser, and they this was their main business from them. So they could sell, you know, a, a custom browser with uh, with company branding. Well, isn't that interesting? I, I never knew about them until they came up with their JSF components. And now listen, and if, you, if, if you build a browser, you have to be really good in parsing HTML. Yeah. And this is how they got, you know, the the incremental updates in JSF. Because if you're building a browser, you parse HTML, you have the Java representation. If you do JSF, you have to do the same, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you are parsing the JSF representation into kind of a DOM tree. And if something changes in the browser, you have to partially update, you know, the, the parts which change on the, on the server. And this is yeah. why they were so good at the beginning. This is interesting, you know? Yeah, they were doing stuff with JSF1 that nobody else could really do. Yeah, because but of the ICE browser. When, when 2 came out, <laughs> it was all, then everybody could do it and it didn't matter anymore. Yeah, and the problem uh, with uh, with them, they, they, in one point of time, they forked, I think, Prime Faces, which was a mistake because uh, they even, even forked uh, the wrong branch as far as I know, but uh, ICE browser. Yeah, I remember that. In matter of fact, I was, I was at Java 1 right after that happened and caught a picture of those two guys talking. <laughs> I still have it somewhere. <laughs> they looked very serious. <laughs> Ice faces guys and uh, talk time. <laughs> That's interesting. What I found right now is a Java doc um, documentation of the Ice browser from IceSoft was the name of the company from Oracle. So I put it to show notes. So this is even more interesting. I put it to the, to the chat right now. So, uh, yeah. So this That's is it. what I don't understand right now. But it seems like uh, Oracle used either license or used the ICE browser. Okay, Glenn, this is one of the most historic shows in the AHXFM history. So um, we have to investigate now the ICE browser, why Oracle knows about the... And uh, yeah, uh, ICE browser extends Java X Swing J panel, implements HTML browser, and of course implements as well Java Beans property change listener. Uh, this is about ICE browser. We're, we're discovering the secrets of the universe. <laughs> this is because of the astrology, I think you mentioned. You know? this was, uh... <laughs> so what was your first project with Java? So your first, you know, your first something working project, if you can remember, then what you did for the company. It was always interesting how you start with. and. Um... Uh, yeah, I do remember that, actually. Uh, I I figured out how to write a, a, a web app and in those days, that meant, you know, emitting all the HTML yourself from a servlet. Um, yeah. But I figured out how to do that, and I was kind of playing around with it. I hadn't even showed anybody. You read the O'Reilly book about servlets back then? Uh, I read with one the of them. I, there were so many, I don't know which ones I wrote, which okay. ones I read. But, yeah, I, I, I had some of those books. I had a I had a really heavy bookshelf at work that was always in danger of tipping over. 
Um, so you 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 uh, generated HTML with servlets for the work. Oh yeah, and and at that time the the big app that that we needed was a uh, a SKU lookup. So if you know the UPC number, you can look up the model number and the color and everything else and all this looking up back and forth. And I thought a hash map, right? Uh, uh, well, just just the just to get the UPC number. No, back then it was a hash table, of course, but now we well, hash table. Table. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like that. And uh, so, so I wrote a little web app that where you could key in uh, like a stock number and get the UBC number or vice versa and get a little information. And I thought, oh, this, this looks clever. And I showed it to the boss and he was just floored by it. He thought, how can you do this? This is amazing. And to me, it was just, well, this is just this, I'm just playing around with this little thing I found, you know, and he said, okay, we have to write some more of this. We have to do some more of this. And uh, pretty soon we were doing that kind of thing on PCs. And we had also uh, barcode applications that wow. needed to be done. Yeah. And so there was a lot of that. And, and Java just became more and more uh, useful for all this stuff. The, the, the really climactic application, I think, was the one for our factory. Um, we had a factory in a, in a different town f further away up in, it was called Beaver Dam. And up in Beaver Dam was a factory uh, where some of our shoes were still made in this country. And they had to ship them to our warehouse. And our warehouse was checking those in and inspecting them just like everything else. Which was are they uh, leather shoes, nice shoes, or what? How I can imagine your shoes? So it was it like men's high end? Shoes. Yeah, men's dress shoes. Yeah. Okay, so high end shoes. High end shoes, right? And so they were doing all this extra uh, wasteful work just to to that was we already knew the shoes were good because our own factories made them, right? We didn't need to inspect them over again. So we worked out a system where as they were packing the shoes they would scan the barcodes that were printed by my barcode program. And then once they had a whole skid of shoes finished up, they would scan a different barcode and it would send the data from the factory out in Beaver Dam over the phone lines to the AS400 in Milwaukee. And then when that pallet of shoes arrived at our warehouse in Milwaukee, they would just scan it once and all the information would flow. So then we didn't have to, we didn't, we didn't have to do any extra work for our own product that we were making ourselves as opposed to the stuff that was made overseas from China, India, wherever. This is this would be even cool right now, the application. I mean this was back then it was crazy. When was it? Two thousand? Yeah, yeah. Early two thousands when, when mm -hmm. we were doing all this stuff. And and uh and we were able to use Java for all of this. Another really interesting thing we did was we had a device in the in the warehouse called a Cubiscan. And Wait a second. Did, Which server you used back then, you know, server? Was a Java web server? Which app server you mean? Yeah, yeah. We started with uh, Tomcat. Okay. And we used that for a few years, and then we switched to Glassfish. Okay. And they were still using Glassfish at the time I retired, but shortly after switched to. Uh, I talked to the guys recently, and they said they've been running Pyara for some time. Hey, cool. Yeah. And which uh, um, which IDE you used back then at the beginning? <laughs> Oh, that's a story. In the earliest days when we were doing Java, we just used a text editor. A text mm -hmm. editor at Java C, the, the Java file. But which one? Know, like, Notepad or UltraEdit or what was it? Uh, well, I was using j just some text editor that came with uh, uh, Linux. We were using early versions of KDE at the time. 
and that sh the, you know they always ship with some kind of little text editor. I don't know what it was, some nameless text editor that is probably best forgotten. <laughs> but we didn't, of course, we didn't have any revision control or anything. Mm -hmm. Then we heard about this Java IDE that in fact was written in Java and it was called NetBeans. <laughs> and I thought, well, we have to try this out. Uh, and we tried it out and again, these were the early days of, of uh, Java and the early versions of NetBeans were just, the earliest versions of it were just not even usable. But it looked so fascinating because it was so infinitely customizable. It just looked like it was really going to be a good product someday. And sure enough, by and by, it, uh, Java got better and NetBeans got better. And one day I took a look at it and I said, you know what, we're going to use this. And I switched us to NetBeans and we used it you know, until I retired. And they're probably still using it. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to use NetBeans, but at the beginning it was, I didn't like it at all. And the reason being is that it was somehow proprietary at the beginning. So what I remember, there was not even class path. So I had, you know, to mount jars, which I really hated. So it was like the, the entire concept was strange. And uh, so um, I started with um, Java Studio Workshop from Sun, uh, Semantic Visual Cafe, use a lot, Ball and JBuilder. Try to avoid Visual Edge for Java because it was slow, but I like the, but I like the um, look and feel. So I really like how it looked, but uh, it was uh, and it was hard to get. So it, uh, I don't know whether possible to buy for me. There was a website actually. Do you remember Programmers Paradise or was it a German thing? I, there was I, remember the, I remember the name. Yeah, you could buy you know IDEs from there, and uh, Visual Edge for Java was hard to get. I really wanted to to try. Code Warrior from a company called MitroWorks, actually. But um, I never got it, so this is also an interesting one. And uh, and I was, uh, I think, version 2, I had a license of, from JetBrains, IntelliJ. also liked, you know, the look and feel. And, uh, and NetBeans tried to avoid. So I started with NetBeans, really, with the version 5. And from, from, from the version 5, I, I use it all the time. But a prior version 5, it, it was uh, ugly and didn't work well. And I was forced, but because I delivered courses for Sun Microsystems from time to time, so they wanted me to use NetBeans. But uh, even in the courses, I didn't use NetBeans. So I was more like guerrilla teacher or trainer. <clears throat> we started using a little earlier. We were using, I think, version 3. Okay. And, and yeah, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't as good in the earlier days, but I think you're right. Around 4 or 5, it really started getting good, and after that... Yeah, just, really good. And 6 yeah. was even better. It was completely refactored. It was a lot faster. Mm -hmm. It's completely refactoring. Okay, so and, and, and how you found NetBeans? Was it like evaluation, or what's, what's the deal? So because I also... I, I, was, I really liked all the IDEs, and for me back then, NetBeans was diverse. So this is why what my conclusion back then. So I'm curious how, why you use NetBeans so early. I I was, I've always been big a big open source guy, right? And okay. I I will tell you that I did not have the best opinion of Microsoft in those days, for example. Sure. <laughs> and in fact, still don't. But that's another story. Um, but I wanted to, and and you know there were there were problems at the time, for example, with Microsoft wanting to make their own JVM and change. Yeah, things. J plus plus and Studio. Yeah. So I was always very con, very, very uh, aware of 
the idea that Java must be pure. It must always be kept pure. Yes. And that means being actually written in Java, I thought to myself, well, you can't get more pure than Java written in Java, and a Java IDE written in Java. So that, that, that was the thing that attracted me to it. You couldn't co-opt it. You couldn't make it into something proprietary because it was written in Java. You'd have You're to right. change the CDM. Right? But, but Java Studio Code was also written in Java by some microsystems, I think. So it was, I still have a CD. Yeah, that I never tried. I, I, I don't think I ever saw it. Yeah, I, I liked it actually. So um, I will try to find it. So I will show you. Did they did they use code for that when the, when uh, when they bought NetBeans? No. So NetBeans no. was developed in uh, Czech Republic in Prague, mm -hmm. a different team, and they bought the entire team. And the interest is, I don't know who actually started with Java Studio, uh, Java Studio Workshop. And I think there was a workshop for C++ and for Java, but I'm pretty sure it was pure Java, how it looked and felt like. So uh, maybe there was some, you know, native parts, but the uh, the appearance, it looked like AWT. So it was, and there was, and there was Java Studio Creator, which was more interesting. So Java Studio Creator back then, is you do remember Beanbox, uh, Glenn? Not Are you a Java programmer? You had a leather jacket with Java logo on it, you know? The most expensive jacket from Java One, and you don't remember Beanbox. <laughs> Some of the stuff you're saying, I remember hearing the names, but I just don't remember what they were. Yeah, Beanbox. the Beanbox was integrated uh, IDE for Java Beans inside JDK. Huh? Huh? Uh, what I would try to do is actually we have to download early Java version and launch it. I will be really interested. It's called Beanbox, and Java Studio Creator. Yeah, Java Studio Creator or Java Studio Java Studio Creator was like beanbox on steroids. So you had J Java beans and you could use pipes to connect them. And it was more like what happens behind the scenes was dependency injection. So you can wire up without any code, so low-code environment for Java beans. And this was 2000. Wow. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty fast. Yeah, and I have still, I have a license, so I bought, this is another story, actually funny one. So I, I was huge Sun fanboy in Germany, and I wanted to have the Java Studio Workshop with Java Studio Creator. But the only way to get it, you have to become a Java, sorry, a Sun client, right? So I, um, so I called Sun and said, okay, I would like to, op to, to apply to be Sun client. Sun, and, and what I became was a Sun Enterprise client. They, they, they sent me a book with all the Sunfires and Enter Sun Enterprise uh, Eaton K or whatever. And I think the book was more expensive than all the two IDEs. I had, you know, multiple interviews via phone. I was completely, you know, back then, um, I think I was a student. Um, I was completely confused. Why are they calling me? And I get all the books. I just would like to have an IDE, right? And it, uh, no, right now, it was like 200 euros. It was exactly 200 euros. And then I got the CD, so I still have them. And uh, but then um, that day I got—I don't know how it's called—like approval, so I could actually buy anything from this catalog. And the catalog was huge, so I could actually order servers or whatever. So I got regularly, you know, the catalogs from all the Sun servers. It was a nice book. And um, I said, okay. And then I got after years that what 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 happened is they did the interview with me, you know. 
that I became the enterprise client and, and now I could order everything. But I, what I actually wanted only have is not the, the IDE. So I would say I was the youngest student, maybe, the, the, no, the student, the, the youngest enterprise client from Sun Microsystems in Europe, maybe, right? So this was but a crazy ride. Did you put and send you all that stuff? I only got the two CDs, so um, uh, uh, the uh, I still have them. It's this Java Studio. Actually, on one Christmas show, I I, I started the CDs on on a Windows machine, and it was really fast because you know after 15 years, you know the hardware evolved, and the so um, I will try to do it again. It was actually fun. Maybe we'll run on some so, some some Java. Yeah, sorry, this was my Java Studio workshop uh, experience, and uh, yeah. Well, there was another uh, IDE that was part of the roots of, of NetBeans too, wasn't it? Forte for Java. Yeah, Forte for J is like another company. Some bought it was with code generation, and the Forte for J was, I think, at the end a plugin for NetBeans. This is my understanding. And there and was Forte for J, and this was like this was. Uh, I think it was NetBeans was plugins. This was my understanding. But some of the Forte code was merged into NetBeans, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it seems what I meant. Yeah. So um, that the NetBeans was used as a platform, and Photo became like a, a set of plugins. Mm -hmm. No, but uh, the interviews about you, are absolute. Um, I forgot actually about that. So um, the the the. <laughs> well, you you I I wanted to say too. You mentioned Visual Age for Java before. Mm -hmm. I have some history with that too. <laughs> <laughs> really? What happened? We we were going to use it at work. Right. Mm -hmm. This is this is around the time we were evaluating NetBeans and deciding to use NetBeans as an IDE. Before we did that, we looked at VisualAid because we were an IBM shop. So, well, of course, we have to do it yeah. the IBM way, right? And that was the the most disastrous, horrifying experience I've ever had as a programmer. Oh, I really? went down. Yeah, I went down for training in Chicago, and even the teacher couldn't figure it out. You know, we we. I've got a picture that was a screenshot from one of those classes. I should I should post some of these pictures later. Let me just write this down here. And um, well, you, you you used it right. So I mean, you know what those diagrams looked like? Were you drawing lines between everything instead of writing code? I, I never used the lines. So what I what I use is Visual H for Java. The only problem yeah. was the NV repository because uh, what I couldn't what I didn't like in Visual H for Java, you never saw the entire source code. You yeah. only could see a single method. So I was right. really co confused. So this is what I didn't like at all. And our right. project became so big that the Envy became too slow. And it was the end of Visual Edge for Java. But it worked actually surprisingly well. But then we never... Oh, we used the visual editor for Swing without without events. Just to draw, you know, the the uh, Swing parts. And this worked actually surprisingly well. Uh, it, it worked really well back then. If you tried to do the whole thing that way... No, and whole things was no way. And everything yeah, no, else. No. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. Scarred yep. me for life. <laughs> the cool story is I also had a, a training at IBM. I was forced to one day training because a company implemented their own um, version control system, which is suspicious already, but they did it. <laughs> and I had to, I was forced to attend the training. And I asked a single question. I, I forgot actually what it was. And the trainer uh, responded. If I knew the answer, I wouldn't be forced to stay here and deliver the training. I could actually program some code. <laughs> and and I remember this, actually, because 
If uh, I, for for a joke, I delivered also some trainings. You know, if someone asked me the question, the first question, I sometimes said this. You know, in my my workshops, and uh, everyone was afraid. So what he is talking about? And then everyone was laughing because I told the story. But this is also this is my my only training I actually attended was back then, and I remember still. He said, you know. Okay, now, Visual Edge for Java. Uh, you couldn't draw the lines, so you use NetBeans, right? So this was the short yeah. story. Short story, yeah. <laughs> So you spend the uh, the entire uh, career in the uh, the shoe factory? Yes, mm -hmm. I, I stayed in that business. I, I worked for the same company twenty seven years. Cool. That's actually and uh, and you enjoyed the experience. So that you can stay so long for a company, or is it usual, unusual? So uh, because it is for US is highly unusual that you spend you know your entire working yeah. for a company, right? It, it's an unusual company. They're they're family owned and they're known for being a, a very good place to work. Okay, and uh, what I always say it's it's a filthy rich company that takes care of their own, <laughs> and they took care of me. <laughs> cool, and um, so so maybe then so usually I ask you know what you did then and what you did then and and my my you know um, my partners here at uh, AXFM you know tell me about all the projects, but maybe more interesting here in your case, what is the migration story? So you started with JDK one zero, I think one one. And and you migrated to at the end what, Java, eleven. Well, we we were looking at every possible upgrade to Java as they were coming out, but uh, one of the problems was that we were using so much Linux, and and the Java story on Linux at that time was not quite as happy as it was on other operating systems. I don't know if you remember Blackdown Java. Not only remember, Johan Foss is actually yeah. the creator of Blackdown. He was a guest on the AXFM, so we had a chat about that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. yeah well, you have to listen to it. That. And at one point, and I think IBM had one too. At one point, I think there were three different JVMs for Linux. And we were trying one and trying another. And, oh, this one seems to work best. We'll use this one in the warehouse. We'll use this one in the factory and stuff. And it was just, it just got really out of hand. But around the time of, of Java, probably four I think then things really started to settle down and swing work one three what I remember Java one one three was the official I think Suns supported Java version with mm. still Blackdown mentioned because I remember this Blackdown um, and uh, with JDK one three was in the hotspots this is when it ran really well on Linux and prior to this one two I also remember one three was like the breakthrough which I also we used in production one two on Linux and then one three, actually we always use uh, Java on Linux, in, as I remember, from the beginning. At the very beginning was Windows, but all other companies was actually Linux, so it was uh, Windows was very rare. What I wanted to ask you about Java and uh, and and the company. What, what's the name of the company again? Wyco Group Incorporated. <coughs> Excuse me. W e y c o. Oh, Wyco. Uh, you were one of the first Java programmers there? I was the first Java programmer. I brought Java into the company. And 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 how many programmers were, you know, after 27 years? So it was like a huge Java department or No. No, actually we were we had a very small IT department. And we hired some programmers later on, but uh, once we started doing the web stuff, which was all Java, that was split off into a different team, and I was made leader of that team. But we only had a few programmers. We had, we wrote our own. Uh, we eventually did a lot of web stuff. We wrote our own e-commerce suite, 
with three programmers and two web developers. That's all we had. This is actually crazy. And, and what software run or Java in the company? So which kind of software you wrote? So with the barcodes was first one, right? So it was the barcode scanning and quality assurance. And what else? Which, which software were there in the company? Software parts? Well, there, were, there were other programs that were used uh, just to try and get things back and forth from one machine to another. So for example, when we accepted an order on the web, that would obviously have to go into the database immediately. But that was not exactly the same information that you would find on the AS400 where the order entry system was. So those two had to be kind of massaged and there was an order class and an order order class and all this kind of stuff. Um, but we, we were shuttling things back and forth between machines that normally didn't talk to each other. And that, that, that was the great value of Java for us. Mm -hmm. But the software was critical to the company, right? The ordering, everything run through Java. Yep. More and more stuff over the years came to run on Java. And and you'd have the, I don't want to say the old-fashioned, but the, the traditional programmers working on order entry and receivables and everything else. And they're doing their RPG and stuff and doing whatever they need to do. And, and what, if we need to access their stuff, we say, hey, can you show me where the file, where I can find the file layout for this? What happens when you do this? When you And then we implement it in Java. And what I would really have liked to see is that going in both directions. Some of the RPG programmers learning some Java too, but that just that wasn't going to happen. What what happens a lot of times, I think, with with newer programming languages like Java, you get the guys that know COBOL and RPG. They're not going to change. They already know what they need to know. They don't feel they should have to learn anything new, right? So that 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 made it a little more difficult because the guys in my team, we were the Java guys, and nobody else knew anything about it. So if there was any problem, we had to solve it ourselves. I interrupted you because I've st started to talk about the scanning. You mentioned a device, and I say, okay, wait a second, and then we didn't cover it. So something oh. is, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, yeah, this device is called a CubaScan. And what it is, it's a, a flat metal plate with some metal arms that stick up from it. And what it does is you put a, a, a box or a package on it, and it measures it in three dimensions using ultrasound. Okay. Okay, so, so there are three ultrasound emitters, one for each, with each dimension. And you put the box sort of in the corner, and it just goes, bzz, 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 measures the dimensions, and then you know how big the box is. Well, we use that... Uh, because different products require different size boxes, and sometimes we'd have different boxes coming from a manufacturer decide, a manufacturer in India or China decides to start using a different box. And that affected us because the warehouse system, once it assembled an order, needed to say to the operator, go grab a size 14 box for these. And the only way it would know is if it knew what size boxes were going in the big carton, and the only way we would know that is if we measure them when they come in, when they're received in the warehouse. So we had a Java program that was running on a PC connected to this CubaScan, and the operator would come and scan the barcode on the pair of shoes, and that would read into the AS400 and say, okay, here are the measurements we have on file. But the CubaScan just measured a different set of measurements. This box is slightly different. Would you like me to put these measurements in on file? 
and the operator would say, oh, yes, we have a new size box. Okay, put that in. So now that information is on the AS400, and when shoes get up to the, the uh, sorting routine upstairs where everything's put in the boxes, it knows what size boxes to put in. But again, all that was done in Java, a PC program that, that scans the, you know, that reads the keyboard with a scanner and then talks to the AS400, gets this data, then goes and talks to the warehouse systems and says, here's what you need to know. And again, Java was just the centerpiece of all of this. And, and it was a lot of smaller programs that ran on PCs and did that kind of connectivity work. But that's, that's absolutely invaluable when you have big system, big disparate systems like that with different, different large, you know, large components like warehouse and office. So, okay. Now you made me curious. So what was, what was the, how to call it, biggest disaster happened, you know, in the factory with Java? So like, no, a garbage, a garbage collector who caused, you know, all the shoe boxes to be thrashed or whatever. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know that we really had any big problems. When you say a big Java problem, I don't think any of the, you know, everybody has a problem from time to time and everybody has stories, but I don't think any of ours are really related to Java. They're related to human error, I think. Cobol uh, and RPG, I guess, right? So this was yeah. always... <laughs> it's all a fault of RPG. Yeah. Actually, the best disaster story I have has nothing to do with code. We just had gotten a brand new AS400 and uh -huh. you know what those cost, right? And there was this little kind of the back of the machine had a sort of plastic cover on it that was hinged. And I thought, oh, I wonder what's behind there. And we had already fired it up and we had IPL'd it and it was running. And I just kind of went and, and <laughs> tilted that little thing open to see what was behind there. And the machine shut down. <laughs> <laughs> the whole AS400 just instantly shut down. And it took about a half an hour to bring it up because it had to revalidate all the disk storage and everything. Okay. <laughs> and what what was behind now? Can you can you can you can you tell it? Oh, I don't know, little boxes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Some dwarfs. <laughs> yeah, so nothing important. Nothing that, was worth, nothing that was worth seeing by bringing the company's business down for half an hour. <laughs> okay, um, well, you also mentioned Glassfish, so my, I think then you use a little bit of Java E then, right? Or yeah. A lot of Java E and and Glassfish. Uh, we really liked Glassfish, and I I I was on a lot of mailing lists and so forth. And I found that the the people at Sun were really that worked on Glassfish were really anxious to help. And and, yeah. and I had I got in email conversations with the people that were working on the code, and they said, "Oh, try this," you know. So that that's what I liked about working with Glassfish. But it was. It did have its issues, and, and we were very glad to get on Pyara when the time came. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or at least, I, I think that was after I left, but uh, I was very glad to get on it for my own projects, that's for sure. But this is incredible. So, I mean, you use, actually, Java from from the beginning. You had a lot of migrations to the recent Java. There were a team of five people, and you ran the entire company on Java, Glassfish and NetBeans. So, it is incredibly well, productive. That's a bit of an exaggeration because they did have, you know, half a dozen RPG programmers and they okay. had some other people doing other stuff, you know. But but as far as the job stuff, yeah, it was it was just my team and it was like five of us. Yeah, but lines of code, I would say 
Can, can you estimate how much Java code I, was there? Thousands, I mean. No, millions, because of the, uh, the uh, uh, e-commerce suite that we wrote. Okay. That, the other stuff was, yeah, hundreds of thousands of lines of code, tens of thousands, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands. But that e-commerce suite, that was millions of lines of code. But it's incredibly productive because if you think about this, you know, nowadays with five people, it, um, it would be still crazy to write such a system with the you know, most modern tools we have with clouds and who knows what. And maybe you will even, you know, with all the DevOps movement and YAML... <laughs> Uh, even need uh, more people than back then. So it's interesting, actually. Hey, Glenn, listen. What I would like to do is I would like to re-invite you back and then uh, talk with you about something I have uh, not that much idea. It's about C64 and retro programming and uh, whatever. Maybe even astrology. So um, what do you think about this? Should we do this? Sure. Sure. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Where people can find you? Uh, I have a website at lionlabs.org. That's L-Y-O-N-L-A-B-S. And there's a mm -hmm. lot of good Commodore information on there, including uh, the page I think you've seen with all the compilers and operating systems. And, uh, and I'm, also, I'm also on Twitter as G. Holmer. G. Holmer. Mm -hmm. What I also remember is uh, we had uh, the conversation about the IDEs, and I, I I used an editor, and I forgot the name, and I, and I just tried to think about it, and I found it right now. It is J-Edit. You know J-Edit? Yes. It, in fact, I, I said before that we were using uh, some nameless text editor before we used NetBeans, mm -hmm. but that's not that's not 100% true. I remember that we were using J-Edit towards the end, just before we switched to NetBeans. And yeah, we loved it. We loved it. I still use it to this day. Yeah. And uh, I will just download it and see whether it still works. So it, uh, I, I remember back then it was really, really fast back then on my machine. But it... Fast and with an amazing number of plugins because it had a whole yeah. community around it. Yeah. And the guy who wrote it, when it was first written, the guy was just a teenager, I think. Oh, interesting. So uh, with that, I would say I will invite you back in a few months and would like to talk about you, about, about you, your story behind you know what you do after 27 years of Java. Hopefully now a little bit Java as well. Still Java? Are you doing sure. still Java now or no? Yeah, I'm still doing some Java. Um, I wrote a... Uh, I wrote a uh, GUI Gopher client for the Commodore 64 that has a corresponding Gopher server, a specialized Gopher server that's written in Java. Oh, this is <laughs> so the topic for the next session. You know, uh, yes. running, uh, using Java together with C64. <laughs> <laughs> See, so, Java you know, runs everywhere. The future of Java is C64. This will be the topic of our, of, our, <laughs> of our next session, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what there is actually a JVM for the Commodore 64 it doesn't do much it's called Nano VM but there is one <laughs> very good it, so um, it was really I think we met several times at Java 1 but uh -huh. we never had the time you know to, for such a deep conversation right so what is really what I enjoy about the podcast because um, you know we can spend some time have a, have a chat and a Java one is really diverse. You have never you have no time for anything, right? Yeah, there's never there's never time for long conversations at Java one. You go to parties and stuff, and you know. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you a lot. All right, thank you for inviting me, Adam. <laughs>